Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Akome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Lola Banjo. Lola is the founder, creative director, and designer of Silver and Riley, a premier luxury travel and fashion leather goods brand made exclusively and exquisitely in Italy. Self-described as a dreamer and a doer, Lola launched Silver and Riley in October 2019 with one main goal, creating stylish, functional, and luxurious pieces that do not break the bank, yet make you look and feel like a million bucks. Each Silver and Riley product is designed in a way that combines her passion for problem solving and building things better through her experience as an engineer and now as a corporate strategist with her love for fashion, which she picked up from her late mother, whom the brand is dedicated to. She draws, conceptualizes, and then works with her manufacturers to bring all Silver and Riley items to life. In today's episode, Lola shares how she manages a high-level executive position at a global tech company while managing a booming business. Let's get right into it. Thank you for being here. It's such a pleasure to be able to chat with you and interview you. You know, I've done some Instagram stalking, so I'm just loving your brand, Silver and Riley, and everything you do. And I just need to know, what made you start side hustling and particularly why bags? (laughs) So it actually started about 10 years ago. Um, I was in in business school and I was in between my first and second year 
I was interning. So um, my internship was at Accenture, which is a strategy of management consultant firm. So I had to travel for work every week. And of course, that that wasn't my first time traveling, but I got to encounter business travelers a lot and really observe things that people struggle with in the day-to-day life of traveling. So I started Mm -hmm. just thinking about like how to make traveling simpler and easier in general. And you know, I had so many different ideas and that's what business school inspires, just a whole just deluge of ideas, right? But I didn't know where to kind of nail it down to. Uh, and then one flight that I took, it was one that was coming back from from my travels, like one Thursday night, it was like particularly cold. It was in the summer, but the plane was like just freezing. Mm-hmm. And I had asked the, the heraldess for a blanket. I was sitting in economy at the time and I asked the heraldess for a blanket and she's like, no, blankets are only offered in first class. Oh, wow. And then, <laughs> and then it, it, it kind of was like one of those things. I was like, oh, really? Okay, so we're supposed to freeze back here? Because <laughs> yeah. it was like super cold on the plane. But it sparked an idea in me. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to create some kind of like travel accessories where, you know, mm-hmm. you can bring on things like blankets and things that you need for the conveniences of travel. So I started ideating on this travel product, right? It was okay. like this portable blanket that you can bring on the plane at the time. That there, now there is like examples of that on the market. But at the time, there was nothing. I searched and researched <laughs> and I was like, OK, you know what? I can create this. So I went on to my my um, my uh, significant other at the time I was like I have this great idea and we just started like sketching things out he was in marketing I was in strategy that's what we were studying in business school and so we built this business plan together to launch this travel accessories brand and then it came time to have like the funding for it and that's where things kind of got stuck because try to pitch it to to like, you know, VCs at the time, went to the the entrepreneurship lab at school and it all came down to, you don't have a viable product yet. We can't give you money until you have something right where you can show. So they wanted you to actually produce the product. Okay. Exactly. Produce the product and actually have some traction, have some Mm -hmm. build a customer base, have a user base and, you know, get some feedback, all which required money. And if you know, like anything like Garden, like your MBA, you drain your savings and you're getting yep. loans. So I was already in a financial hole before going into that. So I was like, okay, so you're like, how am I going to start this business? How am I going to start this business? So let me like put the idea to the side for now. So I put it to the side and I started my career in, in strategy consulting. But, okay. you know, you know, when you have an idea and you have a dream now, I have had over a hundred business ideas in the course of my life, right? I have written down all kinds of business plans. Like, you know, like my mind, I think most people have a lot of ideas, but I actually also flesh it out to, you know, writing out business plans. And I've done that for so many different ideas, but this was the one that just kept on coming back to me Mm. and kept on nagging at me. And I was like, there's something here. So I just started paying attention. Like as I traveled more, I was in strategy consulting for seven years. So I got to travel Mm -hmm. a lot during that time. So as I traveled more, I would just observe more, write things down so my idea started to kind of transform to like travel bags you know so um duffels rolling luggage and really researching that market and i was like there's a viable case here everyone travels for the most part and everyone uses a bag right so there is a case there's this really strong business case here but i didn't know how to start it and i was so immersed in my career at the time i poured myself into my career and i was doing very well but the better you do in your career the more work the you know the more responsibility that's how they 
reward you. Exactly. You get more work on your plate. You get more work on your plate. I had all these direct reports and things yeah. like so it was it was much harder to to commit to it. But um the idea just never left me. Mm. It would like literally haunt me. Like I would even though sleep. it was on the back burner of your mind, it, it just never burner. left. I was I was forcing it to be in the back burner, right? Yeah. It was naturally it wanted to come out. You know, it was nagging at me so much. Like I would literally think about this business every single day. Wow. You know, and I would envision my life around like when I thought about it, I'll just be like, okay, okay, focus, focus, get back to work. You know, what were some of the things that made you keep putting it on the back burner? Like when you thought about it, was it the money? Was it not knowing where to begin? Was it thinking like who is gonna make this this luxury item I have in mind? Like I don't want yes. it to be, you know, just any kind of bag. I think that's exactly all the above. All the yeah. above, Michaela. Like so it was okay, I needed to save up because at this yeah. point it was apparent to me that there was no VC that was going to back this. And I actually got to a point where I kind of got like cocky, even if I, even though I didn't have anything. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want anybody to take my equity. So I'm not giving up any equity. So I'm going to do this on my own. Right. right, right. I, I didn't have anything yet. I didn't have a right. stretch. I didn't equity have anything. And nothing. <laughs> I was still thinking about equity. I'm like, equity is 0% of zero. <laughs> equity of zero is zero. But, anyway, but a lot of people like, do that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So um, it was that, but it was also just not knowing how to navigate the landscape. Mm -hmm. I had not had anyone that started anything like as in my mind, as big as I wanted to start at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where to look, you know. And so around some time in 2018, everything changed. So as I mentioned, like this business is it's been like 10 years, actually more than a decade in the making at this point. Wow. Um, Uh Because I thought about it in 2010. Right. But around 2018, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to get away from this idea. Mm-hmm. I know there's something there and I will always regret not exploring it at this time. And I was like, it's now or never. Yeah. Um, and I literally just took two weeks of PTO and um, I said, let me just dedicate the time to just like fleshing this out with no distractions, literally put my phone on do not disturb and just like started researching things, you know, and just like trying to ideate around like, what is this business? What exactly mm-hmm. is it? And then I said, OK, let me do some consumer insight studies. I hired a firm and I okay. paid some money. And at the time, it was really still just travel products. So I was like, I want to develop a travel bag that is, you know, combining all these things, all these all these um, functionalities and qualities that people are saying they wanted. Like I was scouring um, sites like retail sites, like just reading uh-huh. feedback and reading reviews from from different um, customers in terms of what they wanted. <clears throat> So I hired the consumer insights firm because, of course, as I was researching on Google, there was so many different directions of where you can go and produce. And I wanted to nail that down. I wanted to like, where should I manufacture? That was the number one number one um, thing I wanted to ask. I already had an inkling that it was going to come back as Italy, but I wanted to confirm it. I don't want to use my own biases to to make that decision. And Um, why did you have that inkling just based on the luxury bags that you buy? Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Pretty much like if you think about all the luxury fashion houses, they're either made in Italy or in France. Mm -hmm. Most of them are made in Italy, but I, I wasn't sure if that was important to to people. I felt like it was made in Italy just because that's origin of, of, of where it comes from, mm-hmm. where, you know, Italian leather, there's a lot of leather being made. There's a lot of family history and all kinds of stuff in there. 
But I wanted to really pinpoint if it was actually important to the consumer for the bag to be made in Italy, as opposed to just the fact that it's made in Italy um, by nature, right? So that's the first thing I wanted to confirm. Um, And then the second thing was just like, just asking people about the conveniences they want in their bag and their products Mm -hmm. to make their life easier, confirming that as well. And then running focus groups. I actually ran like three focus groups when it was started and it had like 10 people. And was this through the consumer insights firm? No, so the consumer insights firm is separate and then also the the focus group. So the consumer insights firm, I really just wanted them to actually like, you know, get data about what people like. So it was a randomized sample of of people. And the way those firms work is like the bigger the sample size, the more expensive it is. So I think I settled on like 200 people. So they're collected insights from 200 people. And the questions were around like, when you think about leather, uh, it was we try not to make the questions lead in because we we didn't want people to we didn't want to feed them the answer. Yep. But it was just like <laughs> things like when you think about leather um, and where it's manufactured, what what country comes to mind, things like that, you know. And also, does the place that your your bag is manufactured matter? It was a, a set of about 50 questions that were asked to be able to get to Italy and everything just kept on saying Italy, Italy. I mean, literally, like, it was like 90% of people were like, okay, the, it matters. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the biggest disparity is that there is a there is a connotation from, you know, bags that come from, you know, certain Asian markets versus uh-huh. Italy. And I wanted to kind of like tease out the comparison, right? You know, because mm-hmm. obviously there's a significant price point in manufacturing, price point differential in manufacturing from those two markets. Right. Um, and as a as a as a producer, you always want to go to a lower cost market. Right. 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 <laughs> but but I was like, no, you know what? Um, it's that's not going to fly. And then mm-hmm. I actually did do research. I did reach out to some uh, manufacturers in those other markets to get prototypes of their product. And I was able to compare myself and it was like night and day. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, there's no way I will produce in anywhere else other than Italy or comparable. Like, so there are also some but comparable markets. But that's awesome that you, you went and got those prototypes made in the different countries to Absolutely. see what the quality would be. Okay. Yeah. Now this, this is already about, sounding like. <laughs> right. So it, was, it, was, it was expensive. Yeah. And it was about a nine month long process for me Mm -hmm. in totality from the time that I started doing research to the time that I launched, um, because I got samples from across different markets. Um, I actually, at the end of 2018, I booked a two week trip once everything confirmed Italy. And I started trying to like reach out to manufacturers in Italy, not getting any responses, not being able to speak Italian. I, my crazy ass book. Oh, I probably can't. No, you can. <laughs> it's okay. So I booked a two week trip yeah, <laughs> to Italy yeah. uh, to the, to, to on the outskirts of Milan, where there was a lot of leather manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And I said, I was just going to go door to door, literally wow. go door to door for this. Cause they were not responding to me or they were saying no. And I was yeah. just like, they need to, I need to build some kind of relationship face to face. And I went door to door. I had a list of factories that I had to visit, got my yep. Uber and just literally went there. And actually two of those days I hired a translator because it was becoming difficult to communicate. Mm-hmm. And essentially I had a set of questions, but what I was trying to accomplish was just to find my manufacturer, find the one that mm-hmm. wanted to work with me and be able to incorporate a lot of those things that I wanted in my products, but also had the values that align with mine, the sustainability goals that align with mine and, mm-hmm. and 
mm-hmm. things like that. So at um, this point, did you have a bag sketched out as like the first yes. thing you wanted to make? Okay. Yeah. The very so first when you bag, went there, you were asking them, can you make this or can you make this bag? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was all like, can you make this bag for me? This is the yeah. sketch. This is what it looks like. Can you make it for me? What's the process? Um, and the first question they will always ask me was just, do you have a backer? Right. Do you have like mm-hmm. some kind of finance in? Um, and the answer was no, I was self-funded. Now, keep in mind, over the course of like ideate and then the business uh, in 2010 to mm-hmm. when I actually started in 2018, I did save some money because I was just like, you know what? I'm going to start putting some money towards this ambition because yeah. I don't want to get funded and I, I don't have anything to get funded with yet. So right. I wanted to save the money to start. And when so you said, I, thinking- I want to save money, did you have an amount in mind? Like um, yeah. this, this is going to require 10,000. This is going to require a exactly. hundred thousand. Like what, what was that amount? Michaela, that you- <laughs> I thought it was going to require 20,000, right? Yeah. And you'd be surprised. <laughs> Do you want me to share now? Well, how much I, I yeah, like, I'm, I'm thinking Italian leather and my mind goes a hundred thousand. What did it actually require? I have invested, well, to start the business, I invested 120,000. So mm-hmm. I thought it was 20,000, right? Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, I had in my mind that everything startup costs, it was not going to be more than 40,000. It was 20,000 to produce, but then I had all these other costs, right? To, right, to right. set up the infrastructure of the business. So I put a $40,000 cap on everything. Ah. But girl, once I went and I was looking for manufacturers and they were talking about, uh, they were talking about um, the minimum order quantity, the MOQ, mm-hmm. which is basically that terminology is like the minimum that you can order for a particular SKU, right? right, right. So I was thinking that I will find a manufacturer and they'll be able to make me 10 pieces of this item so I can test the market. Right, no right. way. They were like, we require a thousand. They were like, pieces. girl, you cannot pre-sale this. You yeah, need to buy exactly. <laughs> They're like, we require a thousand pieces up front and there's wow. no there's no finance terms where I was like, Oh yeah, they'll be able to give you net thirty, net sixty. They're like, We don't know you. We have no no motivation to give <laughs> yeah. you any of those terms. You wow. have to pay everything up front. And you know, the average bag, so the bag that I was producing. It was, mm-hmm. The cost then was because because also my minimums were lower, so it was mm-hmm. higher in cost. It was coming up to like three hundred, and these folks were telling me that I had to order a thousand pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And it was three like three hundred thousand. Where do yeah. I get that from? You know, yeah. so I kept on searching, I kept on talking, get kept on getting rejected because my minimums. I was looking for. I was like, okay, let me try to find a manufacturer that would take a hundred, right? Yeah, as yeah. a minimum, and also would would just want to do a lower uh, a lesser amount of run like so a lot of them will want you to have a collection as opposed to just like two bags right yeah yeah so it was i talked to 136 that number is wow. going to be forever ingrained in my brain i'm gonna tell my grandkids the story my great grandkids, <laughs> my great grandkids by the grace of god like yeah. i will tell them the story of getting rejected by 136 wow. manufacturers before i found the one one single one that said, yes, I can work with you within your parameters. And they also checked the boxes that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And it was like this major breakthrough of just like feeling so excited and relieved, but then also exhausted before I even started, yeah. before I actually had a product that was already wow. tired. I was like, how do people start businesses? This is crazy. <laughs> well, first of all, congrats. And were Thank all those you. rejections on that trip, that two-week trip you took? No, no, no. It was, okay, it was, during that two week trip that I took, I went and saw maybe about 25 
manufacturers. Uh And some meetings were very quick. It was like, nope. (laughs) Some were longer, (laughs) right? Some actually sat down and gave me the you know, the proper respect and welcome and like, oh, we'll like to work with you in the future. And funny enough, one of those that did receive me well, I work with them almost exclusively now because they were not, they were not able to work with me for it because the first manufacturer I did find is not them, right? So Mm -hmm. um, they were, they're one of the ones that initially, I know, (laughs) girl, there's so much. We yeah. have time. We have time. We have time. Work. Okay, I love it. Because <laughs> the first manufacturer I found, yeah. uh, I'll tell you that story. But anyway, so one of the ones that initially like mm-hmm. rejected me, but in such a respectful, loving way, it was just like it was it, the business case was not aligned to them at the time, right? They did mm-hmm. not have the capacity to accommodate what I was looking for, what I needed at the time, but they did it yeah. in such a loving, respectful way that when I was able to bolster up my financial resources and my mm-hmm. manufacturing capacity, I went straight back to them and I was like, I want to work with you guys because I love what you do. And I just love the way you handled me as a potential customer. You didn't Mm -hmm. have a dime from me, but you treated me in such a respectful way. But having that one, the first one that did say yes, the first breakthrough in Southern Italy, I was so relieved and so excited to finally have a working prototype. I can imagine. And what what was it about that one? Like, what is it about Mm -hmm what you presented, you know, that everyone else said no to that they were willing to work with? What do you think it was that made them say yes? I think at the time, unbeknownst to me, um, they were also kind of just like starting up their customer list and they're, they okay. were excited to kind of just, maybe they, maybe even like let, you know, just newcomers or like people with less experience in that industry mm. come in because they were looking for customers as well. They're okay. looking to bolster up their their Rolodex. But it was not a Cinderella story. It was not a success story with that first oh, manufacturer. No. Why is that? Yeah. I will say I was grateful even now in retrospect, even though the, the, the story didn't end well with that first manufacturer, I'm grateful that I had that breakthrough because I think mm-hmm. it was just God's way of telling me like, it's going to work. You know, you may knock on 136 doors that say no, but you'll eventually get one. So even though that didn't end up to be like the ideal manufacturer, you know, that boost of confidence and finding that one, because mm-hmm. after that one, I was able to go back and find one almost immediately. and went back to the other one, like very quickly and everything kind of just started like rolling from there it's like after you've gotten so much rejection you start to kind of lose some kind of you know even though I've always seen myself as a positive optimistic like go get in like just I would just keep on going it could it be does something to you yeah, yeah it does something to you psychologically and were you able to create at that first slate of products and sell and at least recoup some of the manufacturing costs or did you sever the relationship during the process So let me tell you the story about that one that I did find. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. here's what happens, right? In the, in the manufacturing process, you find the manufacturer, you do the sketch, right? I do a lot of my drawings myself. uh, And then they make it into a paper prototype. You, you accept it. And then they Mm -hmm. actually make a physical prototype. They send it to you, you inspect it, you make changes, and then they go make the production, right? So that whole cycle is about six weeks long, right? Mm -hmm. So once I did that, right? For that first manufacturer, I made a big order because the prototypes that they sent me checked the boxes and I was like, it's great, great. So I made a big order and I remember um, sending the biggest check at at this point that I had sent at that point, it was like $80,000, right? And I paid for the order. And when the production bags came in, the first set of production bags came in, 
half of them were completely different from the prototypes that I approved. <laughs> and I actually learned after the fact that this happened so to so many people when they're oh starting their God. businesses. Essentially, what the what the guy did was, mm-hmm. you know, send me the perfect prototypes, right, with yep. the leather, the exact specificity of the leather and the, the design that I wanted. Right. But then when it came to production, what he tried to do is like for some some of the SKUs, mm-hmm. use a lesser quality leather or lesser quality accessories. So basically, Ugh. now I've paid for I've paid for the expensive one, right? Right. right. But he's trying to like just get a little bit more money on the side, and they do it all the time now. Not necessarily just in Italy, but just in, in manufacturing in general. Mm-hmm. But that was a hard lesson to learn, and、uh. a very expensive one because I ended up having to scrap about twenty thousand dollars worth of product.、Wow. That was just like I could not, in good conscience. Include this or send it to customers,、mm-hmm. and also the fact that I had shot my campaigns right with the perfect prototype. Right, and then I'm gonna send like imagine like what what you ordered. You know those things、yeah. you see on Instagram. What I ordered versus what right, I received.、Right. I was like, no, that's not gonna be me. We can't、right? do that. What、we、did they say?、That. What did they did they We, say we'll replace it? it? Legal, like no, it became a、wow. legal issue, right? And、um, I wrote a twenty-seven page document because I got a lawyer.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go into arbitration. It was it was a big case.、Mm-hmm. So what he ended up doing、um, because he wanted to because I also pulled in the international trade committee. It was a big thing because you know I was thinking even though it's eighty thousand dollars, it may seem like a drop in the bucket for a, a lot of these governmental agencies for. Me, it was like a lot more than I even thought I was、yeah. going to spend. Right, eighty thousand dollars is significant when you're self-funding, right? And I just felt so cheated, and、mm-hmm. I was just so angry. Like,、mm-hmm. and so I was just like, okay, you know, calm down, take up the legal case. And I found the lawyer, which was also expensive. Wrote out the document, and then he said, you know what? In order to not make it go to the to the law and all the stuff to court.、Yeah. Uh, let's just find、um, some kind of mediation, right? Okay. And so what he did was, he sent me replacement bags that were in perfect quality, but in a lesser amount. So I wasn't able to recoup the entire twenty thousand、okay. dollars. I was able to recoup about ten thousand. So I was just like, you know what? This is a lesson. I'm not even gonna fight it because the whole process was taken like a long time, right? So I was、mm-hmm. like, I'm not gonna fight it any longer. Let me just let this go and know that that was my most expensive lesson to date. I'm gonna learn、wow. a lot of other lessons, but yeah, at that time, that was my most expensive lesson. And I and that lesson is is gonna help so many people who are listening to this. In hindsight, what do you think you could have done, or what should we do differently? What right, I do differently,、yeah. okay. <laughs> tell, what tell I、us. do differently now <laughs>、yeah. is. Whenever you have a business that has a global supply chain, you manufacture、mm-hmm. in a different country, do anything like that, and you place a large order,、yeah. you have to first of all be there at the point of shipment, right?、Mm-hmm. You have to have someone that's there at the point of shipment, like a quality control, quality assessor, something like that. At the start of the relationship, when you're still building trust. Now,、okay. when you already have the relationship, like I have my current manufacturer, I trust that if they're gonna, if they tell me that they're gonna send me this, they're gonna send me that because it's、mm-hmm. actually in their best interest. Now they know、yeah. that my business is a viable business, is bringing in revenue. They don't want to sever the relationship with me as well, so they're always gonna do right by me. But、mm-hmm. at the start. 
you know, the manufacturers don't know that yet. You could just be another because so many people start businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Every single year they fail. So for them, it could just be a one time order. So they don't care Mm -hmm. about that relationship. So over indexing on relationships is important. So once you build that relationship, I've invested a lot in my relationships with my manufacturers right now. Uh Like, they when they tell me that the sky is whatever color i believe them because we have that trust with with Mm -hmm. each other but it took a long time to build but when you don't have that relationship yet make sure you have somebody at the point of shipment right so you have a quality assurance or quality control whatever you want to call it but somebody that's actually checking that what you ordered is what you're getting sometimes there's not a way to do that you know in person so you you know for instance during covid a lot of people could not travel um so you know you had to maybe like trust that they will send you pictures or videos so you have to ask for in-depth like evidence that everything that you actually ask for is what it is and then make sure you also get business insurance that's one thing i didn't do at the start right so Mm. i ate the cost you know that of every error that's that I've made in the first year, right? I ate wow. all of those costs. And your even... business insurance, um, will that apply globally? Yes. If, so okay. Even like right now, I have a shipment that's on its way to me, and mm-hmm. there's about three hundred thousand dollars of products. Right? Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. Right? Yeah. Pirates could seize the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's real. That's real. That's what right. I need. Yeah. Exactly. Something, anything can happen. Yeah. So it covers every business situation. Mm. It could also be you have an employee that stole from you. That's business uh, insurance. Like, so there's yeah. so many different business insurance products, right? Of course, if you have one that's like comprehensive that covers every situation, it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but every company offers business insurance, right? Uh, and you pay the premiums, you know, you get the insurance that you feel like you need. But I think that's what a lot of us don't do. I, mm-hmm. I didn't have the advice to do that at the start of my business, right? Because you know, I didn't know. I didn't know I needed it. Yeah. Right. So a lot of the costs that, you know, a lot of the things, the mistakes that I, that were made or the lessons that I had to learn in the first year, I ate it, you know, so. We talk about being self-funded and that's one of the main reasons why I do this show and talk about side hustling, right? Because your job is that first investor. So in addition Mm -hmm. to your job, were there other resources and other places you look to for capital to help you fund this business on your own? Yeah, I did. I definitely looked at like SBA loans as well. I looked at business funding that did not require an equity investment, um, things like that. I think the first thing, again, I was kind of like, I don't want to give up any equity and I was still making zero dollars. Like, Nobody wants equity of something that's still in the red, but I was like, I don't want to give up any equity. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs say that, but there is, there is merit to giving up equity because again, you can, it can help you grow and accelerate your business and scale to a certain extent. But at that start, I think it was just a combination of, I still didn't know what I was doing yet. Right. So I wanted to really master this industry, master my business and master what I was doing before I started pulling others in. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think also maybe some imposter syndrome was there. I didn't want to be exposed Mm -hmm. as a fraud in this industry. I was like, I don't have fashion background per se. Uh You know, I wanted to kind of have some set of successes that I've accomplished on my own before I actually go out into the world and possibly ask for support. Um, 
but also, I, but mainly it was just like, I wanted to feel like I was in control of my destiny. I felt mm-hmm. like investors may want me to leave my, my company right away. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be in control of my own pace, right? In some mm-hmm. way. So I said, you know, thankfully I did, ha- I do have money saved up and, you know, I was able to tap into those personal resources to be able to, you know, get it to a certain place. So I was like, let me just ride that until I can't ride it anymore. Right. And, you know, see how far I can take that. So that's where the self-funding came in. But I did look at some resources here and there. Mm-hmm. And that's so scary, you know, mm-hmm. kudos to you, because I mean, they're entrepreneurs who or side hustlers who have to drain their 401ks, drain their savings. Mm-hmm. And they're still at the end of the day looking around like, where, where did my money go? What do I have to show right. for it? So at what stage were you able to put Silver and Riley on the market and mm-hmm. start earning for your beautiful bags? Thank you so much. So it was around October 20. uh, Well, it was in October 2019 that I launched. And I launched in October because I wanted to launch on my mom's birthday. It's um, the brand is dedicated to my mom. She passed away 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and she taught me a lot of what I know about the energy behind entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it took about a year of being able to because when I took that flight to Italy, it was November 2018. But it was also like, you know, uh, when I first took those two weeks off in August 2018. So just about over a year before I actually got to the point from I from really sitting down to build this business to launching it. Now my okay. journey in total, you can say it was a decade long, right? You don't mm-hmm. need a decade, but mine was every everyone's journey is different, right? So, you know, don't feel like if you have a business idea, you have to bring it to life right away. Sometimes you have to learn some things. You have to study yeah. the, the industry. You have to learn the market. Everyone's pace is different. I mean, there was a sense of urgency in the in the fact that the dream was nagging at me. Yeah. But because I do have a full-time gig, I wasn't financially pressed to start a business. It was like, I want to get to a place where I actually have this and I'm building an enterprise. I'm not just like trying to do a fast kind of, you know, make a fast buck. I want to build a family legacy. I want to build generational wealth from this. So I'm going to take the time and be heads down Mm -hmm. and actually study the market, learn about leather, learn about production, learn about manufacturing, learn about consumers, learn about what my customers actually need, do those market research studies, those consumer insights, like build those focus groups you know, in corporate feedback, I have really been taking the time because this is a business that I see as, you know, a, I, I, everyone asks me like, what do you compare yourself to? I say Louis Vuitton. I'm not comparing myself. I know that's right. I right. That's exactly. Right. I'm like, and that's what I see when I see your brand, you know, yeah. and that's why like my mind was just went to a hundred thousand, you know, off the rip, like of investment Thank because you. I just, I see that quality. And, Thank um, you. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned that going at your own pace as well. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's always nuance to everything. And so sometimes you see people who spend years and years and they don't seem to get their their business off the ground. And so some people, you know, see that story and they're like, oh, I need to just go out there. And no, there's there's gray area. It's not black and white. Like, I love the way that you learned the industry. You went and you you went straight. You took time off to go to Italy. You mm-hmm. did consumer insights and all of this takes money. So it's also going yeah. back to not only are you saving, but then you're also working. You're working a really right. demanding job as a strategy exactly. consultant. So exactly. it's not like you have, you know, time to dilly dally all the time. Like there, I'm sure there were periods where you were just swamped by your actual day job. 
I don't remember a period that I was not swamped. <laughs> let, me, let me put it like that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> let me put it like that. Since yeah, I, I, I know that consulting life. I don't know it personally, Ooh. but from what I saw, yep. <laughs> I was like, I, that I don't is remember intense. when I've not been swamped. It's just, yeah. been, you know, but Nikayla, like, with anything in life that's worth mm-hmm. it when you're working at it it's going to take mm-hmm. time and effort things that are worth it take time and effort yep. right so for me yep. it's been just really knowing how to manage my time and i don't do it mm-hmm. perfectly you know i think sometimes yeah. i do get it wrong but what i have started to adhere to when i started the business and actually this was more from necessity than anything when i was calling mm-hmm. those manufacturers when i was on the phone with italy I was thinking about the time zone, right? The time uh, zone difference. They're six hours ahead of me. So yeah. I was always waking up at 3 or 4 a.m. to kind of get that done. So mm-hmm. my schedule and my, my, my body clock just automatically indexed to you wake up every day by 3 a.m. And that's a schedule I've always kept. You wow. know, So I go to sleep every single day. I'm in bed by 10 p.m. Well, maybe except for weekends or if I'm hanging out with friends, but most normal days I'm in bed by 10 p.m. And I wake up around 3 a.m. and I start work. I start working Mm -hmm. on my business and I work on my business for about three to five hours. I mean, for about five hours or so, you know, whether now it's whether it's like, you know, the lists that read in customer emails or ideating on something. Mm -hmm. corresponding with my manufacturers or building out the new the next collection i'm doing something for my business right and then i start salesforce my job around 9 a.m and i work there i don't have a nine to five because i I have an executive role so it's like whenever i'm needed right so it could be i could have to travel that day or something right but typically on an average day I'm at work at Salesforce from nine to maybe six o'clock, right? Okay. And then I do the personal things, you know, um, from six to eight. And then I go back and look at the business again uh, for a couple of hours, tie up some things. If it's shipping day, then, you know, the schedule kind of changes a little mm-hmm. bit because we ship in the evenings, um, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. But if it was just a normal day, then, you know, I, I just you know, answer emails or whatever it is. I try to send things that I need to do to maybe editorials, whatever it is. Uh, and then I go to sleep by 10 and I wake up at 3 a.m. and rinse and repeat. So that time management and just being sticking to that schedule. Now, mm-hmm. I definitely understand that not everyone can have the luxury of that time, right? That schedule, yeah. because I don't have kids yet. You know, I don't have yeah. a lot of things that are maybe demanding of my time other than, you know, my work and my my business and, you know, some family things that I have to also take care of. But most most of my time is still kind of my own to manage, mm-hmm. right? So I, I, I'm benefiting from that. So, I, you know, I, I just say that because, you know, I don't want to make a blanket statement like, oh, everybody can manage it. If you have a newborn baby, right. you, you know, that, <laughs> well, it's a different you know ballgame. <laughs> Listen, even when I didn't have a newborn baby, I still struggled to manage my time in the way that you're mm-hmm. describing. So it's still mm-hmm. so admirable, like for you to be you. that disciplined with your time. So right. you launched in October, 2019. What happened next? What was the customer response? Um, you know, what was the revenue like? Was it starting mm-hmm. to, to pick up right away or did it take some yeah. time to get that customer base? So I launched to, um, I had a launch event, which included oh, okay. my family and friends, yep. uh, uh, some industry uh, uh, personalities like stylists, influencers, mm-hmm. and things like that. It was a very successful launch event from the perspective of, I actually made it a selling event as well. You know, okay. I launched the product, told the story, it was a party, cocktails, all that stuff. But then people could also place orders. So that was mm-hmm. my first set of customers, right? Where okay. they actually placed physical orders for the bags. 
And then, you know, I had a whole bunch of like marketing stuff that I invested in across social mm-hmm. media. And of course, my personal social platforms. Hey, yeah. guys, I just launched this brand. So that was my first set of customers. It's just like family and friends. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it started to grow from there, you know, by around January, I started to see my first few customers that were names that I didn't recognize, right? So once oh, you start seeing names that you yeah, don't recognize, yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, this, this, this is growing. Like, look yeah. at this person. But how'd so you around January, this? Exactly. So about like two, three months after launch, I started seeing names I didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And then by February, it was like a lot more names I didn't recognize. And I was like, okay, the business is growing. I started investing into more ads on Facebook and things like that. And it was doing really great. And then March 2020, Corona. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell corona, you. Corona, Corona. Corona, yep. Corona. I mean, I'm sure we're all tired of hearing about Corona at yep, this point, yep. but it had a major impact on my business. Mm-hmm. Major in the sense that five months after I launched, everything came to a standstill. Five months after I invested $120,000 into my business, everything came to a standstill. I had the first month, the first month and a half of uh, the pandemic, I had zero sales, zero. Like literally my Shopify store said zero, like for those months, there was not one sale. And yeah, I think, again, I'm such a calm, like optimistic and in some cases, spiritual person. Like I believe Mm -hmm. in like divine, you know, I believe in the universe, I believe in God, a higher power. But that was the first time in a long time that I actually just like started freaking out. Like, did I mm-hmm. make a mistake? Like, have I, you know, am I going to lose everything that I've invested? Yeah. Again, at this point, it was $120,000 in, which was a lot of money to me at the time. A lot of money to anybody, right? But yeah, it was a lot of money. And I was just like, I haven't, of course, I hadn't made a profit yet. You know, everything, even all the sales that I had made prior to that was being reinvested back into the business. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it was just like, what's going to happen? And then I, w- I had four women on my team, you know, so one was doing, one was intern doing marketing, publicist. I had to make the decision. I didn't have any money to pay them. So everyone had to kind of go. And it was just, it was a lot. And then the worst sad, part yeah. was. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, and when we keep them bottled up, it affects us negatively. I have found that therapy has been a safe space to get things off my chest. I had my daughter last August, and by January, I hit up my therapist like, let's go ahead and set up this monthly session. Therapy has been so helpful for me in setting boundaries, and it just empowers me to be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, this is your sign to go ahead and do it and give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HustlePro today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HustlePro. I had just placed this big order for my spring collection, my spring summer collection. And I remember the shipment date was around like uh, the end of March, but Italy was the market that was hit the worst by the virus, if you recall. So they shut down by the first week of March. I was like two weeks away from getting my delivery and they had to shut down their factory. Their factory did not reopen again till like August, September. So I had spring collection with all these Mm -hmm. bright colors coming to me in September. I had all this marketing and everything. (laughs) So I had all my working capital tied up into that. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it was a lot. (laughs) How did you stay sane and motivated and just, you know, calm (laughs) and not completely just have a breakdown? Or maybe you did. You know, I think... I had a couple of freakouts, like maybe not a complete breakdown. I think, honestly, one thing that kept me grounded, I mentioned earlier that this brand is dedicated to my mom. She's Mm -hmm. my uh, biggest motivation, inspiration. She was a entrepreneur in her time as well. She passed away 20 years ago, but she had several businesses and Mm -hmm. she was just a very positive, loving person that everyone loved her. And she had such a really grounded perspective on life, which is where Mm -hmm. I get a lot of my perspective from. And she used to just have, whenever things would go wrong, right? She used to always say, it could be anything small. You know, she'd be like, no condition is permanent, right? And that's something I heard almost all my life while she was was alive. No condition is permanent, right? Everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And she meant it in the sense that whether you have something where when you're in the middle of a storm it will eventually Mm -hmm. end but also when you have good things coming to you as well enjoy it while you have it because everything eventually ends no condition Mm -hmm. whether positive or negative is permanent so you know live in the moment when you have the good things but also know that the bad things will pass and honestly Kayla that that was the perspective that kept me going I kept on, I, I was like on Wikipedia every day, reading up on all the, the pandemics that had, had happened in the past. I was like, they, they have an end date. They have they an end date. date. Right. It's end. There is light at the end of the There's tunnel. Light. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going right. to end, right? Something's going to happen. Yeah. And like, also, I think I was, I was a little bit protected by the fact that this was not my mm. source of income. That was right. I, like, 
you know, I was not taking any money from the business. Like I still Mm -hmm. had my job and I was very grateful for that. And I actually Mm -hmm. even felt guilty for that because I saw so many people guilty for momentarily because I saw so many people losing their, their livelihood Mm -hmm. and losing, um, you know, their financial stability. And so I was like, how can I even dare complain? Right. You're like, I don't have it that bad. It could be worse. I I, I know that feeling for sure. So guys, have you been thinking about starting your own podcast? So you've been thinking about all these different ideas or you have one idea that just keeps coming back to you, but you're not sure how to start. Or if you have started, you're not sure why you can't grow it as much as you want to grow it. And you're also confused about how to truly make it your side hustle, right? Like how do you go from having this show that you do in your closet like I do to actually making money and actually using it as a platform to grow? Well, that's what I'm here for. I am going to be teaching you how to make podcasts in your side hustle. Go over to podcastmoguls.com to register so we can go over some things. All right. And it's also your opportunity to pick my brain. Stay until the end so you can get to the Q&A and you can ask me anything that you want to ask me about podcasting. You can talk to me about challenges and I am here as your resource. This training is completely free. I love doing this because you can walk away from this training and completely make a difference in your show. So go over to podcast podcastmoguls.com. Make sure you are registered. Again, that's podcastmoguls.com to learn how to make podcasting your side hustle. When were you able to pick things up again? And how did you go about, I'm curious how you, you were going about your marketing, because I see it now on influencers. I see you've been featured in major publications on TV as well. Um, so how did you, did you reshift your efforts to your marketing and what did yeah. you do to get that kind of coverage? Yeah. I've always really indexed on building relationships. Relationships mm-hmm. are so important to me. And in the first year and a half, two years, I said, I wasn't going to pay, do any kind of paid influencer. I wanted people that were going to just love the brand, love what I, my story, what I'm about. And, you know, I actually had like God placed a lot of people in my life that just like, wow, you know, you have this brand and you're donating yourself and the products look amazing. We'd love to support. How can we support? Mm -hmm. So people were reaching out to me and I was cultivating those relationships just because, you know, I was genuinely like, I have had influencers that have followed for years, you know, for years and years. For instance, like Shayla, all things slim. She was yeah. first featured on Fashion Bomb Daily, like maybe in 2012. And I followed her for a long time. So when I launched my brand, I just like reached out to her. I'm like, hey, I've been following you for all this time. I really love yeah. your story. I felt like I knew her family because, you know, I had like seen her kids be born and grow up. <laughs> and so we connected. We connected yeah. like that. So I just I just like really invested in cultivating real Mm -hmm. authentic relationships and like, you know, really telling people my story, taking the time, whoever responded. Now I will say that I sent hundreds and maybe thousands of emails and I didn't always get a response. Right. And that's going to happen. I think when it happens at first, you feel like, Oh, that sucks. That rejection. But you know, you learn that it's just a part of the game and people, people have limited time and resources to to allocate. So it's okay. But you know, the relationships I was able to cultivate, I was able to do that. And then I focused on the marketing side as well. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, shooting campaigns that I felt like were attention grabbing, you know, um, investing 
an ad spend, um, things like that. And then, you know, and also I re-engage with a PR firm as well okay. to see if they can like help craft the story and also just like the brand image, you know? So it was just like, really just like taking the time. And again, it was because like to the to the title of your podcast like as a side hustle at the time it was not the only thing that was bringing in my actually I was not taking any revenue from it Mm -hmm. at all so I was able to do that I was able to take that time to actually see what would work um I think a turning point in that journey actually at towards the end of the year Paige and Dr. Dre, she is an influencer on uh, Instagram, but she's a doctor. She's a real life person and she's a real yeah. life friend now. Um, but she fell in love with the bestseller, which is this bag, the convertible executive bag. Ah, right? How beautiful is that, me. you guys? Like, look at I that. I can send it to you, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, so I'll get you. I know. I'll get you. I did not tell her to do that. And you no, have no. to feel pressure to do that. Well, thank <laughs> no, you. no, no, no. No, but yeah. seriously, I sent her that bag and and she mm-hmm. loved it. So she posted yeah. it to her doctor community and yeah. they all loved it too. And then that was a turning point in like, you know, mm. just bringing the b- business back, you know, like, so I started actually start seeing sales again. And, yeah. you know, so the, it was a combinative effort, you know, of just building those relationships, investing right. in marketing the ads uh, and just like, you know, finding people that naturally gravitated towards the story, the authenticity behind the brand and yeah. what I was also the mission of the brand. So I didn't mm-hmm. mention that I give back 5% of, of all sales to, wow. to women as, as grants to start their business, because I know how hard it is when you're starting out. I had the privilege, the fortune of having the financial cushion that from, mm-hmm. you know, having a lucrative job over the years, yeah. but I know not everyone is in that position. So I just, I just hate to see us stifle our creativity mm-hmm. and our ability to actually be a part of this economy, be a part of this next frontier because we don't yeah. have the financial resources. And it's so often our story, you know, and I, I just want to be a part of changing that dynamic, changing that narrative, you know, and being able to provide that access to, to, to black women and underrepresented yes. women everywhere. So we can actually have the resources to be able to start our enterprises because we absolutely deserve that. We absolutely yes. deserve to build these multi billion dollar enterprises because right. you know when you look at the corporations and you look at uh, you know things that have succeeded I realized that it's not that these people are superior. There's no one that's really smarter or hardworking, more hardworking than you. It's just access, yeah. you know, access and, 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 and knowing what's out there. You know, yeah. it didn't have to take me a year to actually start my business, to be honest. Yeah. If I if I had someone that had a Rolodex of manufacturers or made a connection, right, you know, and said, hey, talk to this person. Right. Maybe it wouldn't have taken me a year. You know, it, it, it may not needed to take me 10 years to be able to right. save up money to start my brand if I had the financial resources. Now, I'm not giving a million dollar grants yet, but anything it's coming. Helps, like, it's coming. Right. It's yeah. coming. But anything helps when you're starting that right. journey because things add up. So if it's just like, hey, let me help you pay for your consumer insights. Let me help you pay for your mm-hmm. website, right? So mm-hmm. you actually start to start to sell your product. Let me help you pay for your bookkeeping or, you know, whatever it is. Like, so those grants go towards those things that, you know, tend to hold people That's back. That's so wonderful. Yeah. I love that. That's such a wonderful, wonderful initiative. And I think, you know, you are a shining example of 
what I want people to be able to do, what I what I hope people get from this show is that side hustling allows you to take the time you need to invest in everything you need to yeah. do before starting your business so that if you go through a slow period before the business is ramped up, you know, you still have your job to fall back on, hopefully. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I love that you touched on that. And I'm also curious to know, given the research you did, the consumer insights that you did, when it came time to find your pricing in the market, yeah. was that an easier process for you or was it still challenging to figure out where to come in in the market? Um, you know, mm-hmm. because obviously you are you are targeting, you're already coming in as a premium luxury brand. As exactly. a newbie in the market, how did you approach that? Yeah, so pricing strategy is something that I've actually done a lot and advise my clients on, right? So mm-hmm. for my brand, it was challenging initially because I wanted to find the right, right price point that was not going to, like, you know, um, deter people from engaging with my brand, right. but at the same time, respected the luxury approach that was taken. And also some of it was from necessity as well. I was like, if I'm producing this bag for $300, $400, I cannot price it at $300, right? Because then right. I, I, <laughs> I lose money, right? Yeah. So going into a luxury market um, necessitated that I had to price at a luxury price point, but I wanted to keep the brand attainable luxury. So my, my okay. demographic had always been us, right? Women like us that, you know, we have disposable income, we work, you know, we have professional careers or we do things, right? And we have yep. some money. We can spend money on a $2,000 bag, but we don't necessarily have to. You can get that same quality in a bag that's like, $500 or right. $700. So that's the demographic I wanted to appeal to the demographic that I recognize, right? So, yeah. um, you know, 25 to, to 55 year olds that had, you know, a professional career that needed a bag that was functional, that was very stylish and, and fashionable, but also was going to last from, from generation to generation, but they yeah. didn't want to invest in a $3,000 bag to get that. And yeah. I re- I started realizing from my research that all of the big brands, every single big brand out there is producing the same same places that I'm producing. Gucci's factory is right next to mine. Like mm-hmm. literally they're all in that same radius, right? Yeah. And the only difference, the only difference is that they've built the brand equity to be able to price their, their products at a certain level. And they also have a lot more overhead than I do, right? So they mm-hmm. have a huge marketing organization. They have a lot of people to pay, right? So that's why yep. their bags are priced. <laughs> so we're paying the cost of their overhead, not mm-hmm. the product, right? The product costs $300 to make, right? Yeah. So it's still going to cost $300 or, or actually maybe even lower because now they're, they're doing a hundred thousand dollar a hundred thousand unit runs right they're doing Mm -hmm. million unit runs so their product probably only cost them 150 dollars to make but we the consumer when we buy a high-end luxury brand we're not paying for the products we're paying for their overhead right yep so i'm like if i don't have the overhead right and i'm going to keep that overhead down as a direct-to-customer brand right at this time um I can pass on that back to a savings to my customer, right? So right. I wasn't greedy in the sense of like, I didn't want to price it too high because to me, it was just like, I wanted to bring, build the brand, build the loyalty, mm-hmm. build the, you know, the, the customer base first, you know, and just really invest in that. So um, revenue was not an, an initial motivator for me in price it. It was like really just finding the price point that of course did pay me because I am still in business. So I'm not yes. like... <laughs> a nonprofit, yeah. right? right? right, right. <laughs> but, but the margin was not exorbitant. I wanted it to be attainable luxury. I wanted it to be like, you're getting this bag 
for a price point that actually respected the the cost of production and also includes a little bit of margin for my efforts and my marketing costs and all this stuff to be able to bring it to you. So that's that's how I, I arrived at the price. And I made a conscientious decision to make to keep all the prices less than a thousand, all the bags less than a thousand dollars. Okay. This bag is the bestseller. Um, and I started when I started, I priced it at five ninety five. Um, yeah. And but unfortunately, last year I had to make the difficult decision to increase the price to six ninety five because everything increased in prices. Like yeah. my, my manufacturing costs for that bag increased by 20 percent. Wow. And then DHL once increased their prices, too. And I'm like, why are you guys increasing <laughs> your prices? I'm like, I don't get it. Everybody everything was kidding me. Yeah. going up. Right, yes, everybody today's was price, saying, no, y'all already know, it's not today's price. Not today's price. <laughs> Literally, that's what all my all my vendors yeah. said. Like everyone was sending me a notice at the end of the year, like our prices wow. are increasing by blah blah blah. I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> so, what are the signature bags that you have now? I see, you know, you have the Durban bag, you have the belt mm-hmm. bag. Talk to us a little bit about all the SKUs that you have. Yeah. So one thing you'll see that all the bags, well, not all the bags, most of the bags have a city name, right? So that's okay. inspired by. This was originally a travel brand. And also mm-hmm. I love to travel. I've been to over 100 countries. And wow. so I, I gained inspiration from all these cities that I've been. So I've named the bag the Milan bag. You know, So when you go to Milan, it's very chic and stylish. And so that's the bag that I named after Milan. And then I have the Dubai bag, which is more colorful. So you, mm-hmm. some of those styles have more color. And then they have the gold chain. You know, gold is synonymous to the, the Middle East. Um, you know, the Geneva bag, I have that as the messenger bag. So when you go to Geneva, so land a lot of people are in business so they're running from here and there so i created mm-hmm. a messenger background that so anyway so those are all inspired by a city um the the skews that are doing the best right now honestly since launch has been that convertible executive bag it mm-hmm. is a bag that literally every woman can see themselves or men i have male yeah. customers that have this as well but everyone can see themselves carrying this bag because you know it comes in now it comes in seven different colors but this is the yeah. best-selling color this this olive green one um, you can wear it as a chic bag that you're just taking, you know, just, 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 I'm a stylish person. I'm wearing this yeah. bag or you can take it to work. Yeah. Some people have been using it as a mommy bag. Right. Ah, and then because it's of so the fun- chic. Yeah, exactly. Because of the functionality where you can turn it into a backpack. Right. So I designed that functionality of you can loop the straps around it and put it into a backpack. So, nice. so it's very convenient. You can wear it in four ways. So this bag has just been doing ex- exceedingly well, you know, so it, I, I call it the bag that every woman needs in her closet. This is like you're you're going out, you're running errands, just pick up your bag and go like everyone uses this bag where I have customers that bought all seven colors. What? <laughs> it's it's crazy because I'm like, oh, my gosh, beautiful. like you love yeah. this bag that much. The, the the finish is impeccable. And I'm not just saying this because it's my brand. Like, I'm so proud of this bag. No, it is the- gorgeous. And I'm so Thank proud of you. you because, I mean, you can just tell that you took the time to go to Italy and get this quality because you see people start handbag lines. And it's hard. It's, it's hard because when you say you're a luxury brand, like, we, we all have 
an anchor in our mind of what mm-hmm. deems something luxury. And so right. you, you know, you really need to come in on that level. Exactly. And so you made sure that you did that. Exactly. So exactly. that is I just, like, I cannot call my brand a luxury brand. Yeah. I don't have the luxury touches. All the bags come with a dust bag. They have a luxury packaging and just mm-hmm. even the way that I like my customer service, that's something that if you read the reviews that people leave, they constantly yeah. talk about the, the service that they receive. I want it to be a luxury service. Like I want it to be like a white glove. I mean, I don't have the infrastructure necessarily to make it fully white glove at this point, but I really wanted people to feel good interacting with my brand. Like I want them to feel like they're, they get individualized, personalized attention Mm -hmm. to what they Mm -hmm. need. Um, Listen, I I can already see. So are you doing this on your own now? Now you talked about having to let go some of your team. As far as customer service, you talked about responding to things. Are you a one woman show? Are you, have you been able to build some of that team back up? So here's a lot of entrepreneurs don't like to admit this uh, because, you know, you're on Instagram. People are like, we will respond to your inquiry. (laughs) Most of the time, it's just a one person shop. Right. So all of 2020, like at the end of 2020, well, after the pandemic, once I unfortunately had to let some people go. So the rest of 2020, it was all me. All of 2021 was all me. And then my brother came in as well um, towards the end of 2021. And now I have another person as well that's helping me. But if I'm being honest, it's still mostly me. Like Mm -hmm. I, my brother helps a lot with the logistics, like, you know, handling the DHL and the the fulfillment and things like that. But when it comes to the strategy and the marketing and even the social media and how I engage with influencers, the design aspects, it's still all me. And you know, as I grow, I know that I'm going to bolster up the team. Um, right now, it's the three of us. But and but I've always still be kind of like been conscious of keeping overhead down because I want to mm-hmm. keep that price point attainable. You know, you're the only way to keep the price point attainable is like my costs go down, right? Or I keep the overhead down. So my yeah. my cost of production rather. Um, but actually that is happening because as I'm ordering more units, it's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting more sales. I'm negotiating better, better pricing with my manufacturers. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that is happening, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm building this into a billion dollar business. So this I is going to be an right. enterprise, right? Yeah. What's your advice for people as they are growing? Cause it's kind of like, you have to make that decision between, okay, you're getting more sales at some point. Yes. It will feel like you're spending so much up mm-hmm. front, right? Uh, you know, the cost yeah. of goods, the co- your overhead, but then you also need to ramp that up in order to yeah. get more sales. You know what I mean? Like you have to yeah. constantly, constantly make that calculation. Yeah. And so yeah. are you at that point where you're starting to think like that? Like, Hey, um, I know this seems like a lot right now, but as someone who's building a billion dollar business, is it a lot or is it helping me to get my next round of sales to this, which will then allow me to invest like this and then get the next round of sales like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the decisions that you have to make as a business owner. And a lot of those decisions are not going to be easy. You're going to lose money before you make money a hundred percent. And you have to be comfortable with that fact because it is a fact, whatever business that you're building, you know, if it's going to be a sustainable and profit generating business, you're going to have an investment on front, 
right? Mm -hmm. But it's still going to be hard when that investment is coming from your pockets, right? Yeah. Every single person I pay is still coming from my pockets. So it's like, it's, it's, it's coming from my hard work. Like it's not just arbitrary money. It's not like VC money. It's not paper yeah. money. It's real money that I made. Right. But it's something I've had to get comfortable with over the last two and a half years of being in business that in order to grow and scale, you have to invest in your business. You have to invest in marketing. You have to invest in PR. You mm -hmm. have to invest in all kinds of things to actually get your business to a point that it's actually lucrative and bringing in mm -hmm. the revenue that it deserves. Right. So making those investments up front is super important. Um, and you know that as you're growing and you're scaling, you're able to actually recoup some of those investments back, you know, yeah. so it's okay because you actually start to see it. So for instance, yeah. one example is, is Facebook spend, right? If you're only spending $5 in ads, you're only going to get $5 of results, right? Right, right. But at first it's jarring to think like, I'm going to invest a thousand dollars in something that's not tangible. Right. So yeah. say you're like, but then you're like, okay, you start to see some of the return in a thousand dollars. Right. And like, yeah. Oh, maybe let me try $5,000 a month. Right, like, right. That's the stage I'm at right now. Cause it is jarring. Cause like, ads is not a tangible thing. So I'm like, what yeah. am I just putting like $5,000 into the ether? <laughs> like what the hell? Right, but then right. you start to see the return on that investment, right? Mm -hmm. And at As least you, you can track ads, you know, you can track the conversion, you know, with Facebook exactly. ads and you can, you right. can see how people are moving once they come to your site and things like that. So right. that makes it a little less scary, but I know what you mean. Like, it's not like right. sometimes you just, <laughs> you're like, Oh, I just want people to buy, you know, I don't, right. I don't want them to just visit. I don't want them to come back. I don't want to retarget them, but it's part of, it's part of the process. No, I learned, I learned. So one thing I learned in, <laughs> in, I think I learned in business school, but also just uh -huh. like in school of real life. Right. A customer has to see your product seven times before yes. they actually make a buying decision most of the time. Yep. Whether they see it on Instagram, they see it on the influencer, they see it on TV, they see it on something. They have to hear about it and see it about seven times before they actually go into their pockets. Now, that's the average customer. There's customers that see the bag the first time and they're like, I love it. I want it. I love it. I'm going to make a, a decision. That's your like easiest sale. But the average yeah, yeah. sale takes a lot of time for and, you know, I actually look and, and I used to study the customer characteristics of people, how long they spend on the site, what sites they, um, what pages they click on, you know, and also how many times they came. A lot of customers come to the site several times because, again, my price point is not $20, right? It's not $50. Right, right. So they have to, sometimes they have to think about it. Like it's a you know, thoughtful oh, wow. decision. Yeah. yeah it's, it's you have to decision. make a very thoughtful decision. And, um, yeah. but w one of the things I love about Shopify, you can kind of be like, Hey, did you forget something in your cart? Or, exactly. or, or, or all the e-commerce platforms now, you know, yeah. like, Hey, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know you were here <laughs> without right. being creepy. Before we get into the lightning round, I'd love to know, um, you are a side hustler now. You talked about your timeline and everything like that throughout the day, but mm -hmm. when do you have time to do anything else? How are you fitting <laughs> this into your life? Such a, you know, your business has grown so much. You have a really high level job as an executive at Salesforce. So how are you making this all work? <laughs> yeah. First of all, I have to give a shout out to Salesforce because they're super supportive of my business. And I know 
that's not a situation that. that every everybody has. Sometimes you feel like you have to hide what you do. Salesforce mm-hmm. actually like is proud of the fact they you know they collaborated and like uh, and put in some press out there in terms of just wow. you know supporting the business, supporting people that have those that dichotomy of um, mm-hmm. you know having that business and also um, working in corporate because it's something to be proud of. It's it yes. says a lot of the, about the person when you're able to perform in this you know this fast paced high demand environment but also still be able to build a sustainable business who wouldn't want that kind of personality in the enterprise right so i i do have that support but that said it's still a lot of work and commitment right you know you have to be able to be self-disciplined know that this is something that you actually want because if your heart is not in it you're going to just burn out really fast and you're going to hate it right so it's something that i love and i i want to actively engage in it i want to actively engage with my customers but i'm not going to lie there's sometimes i'm just like so stressed so tired i'm just like exhausted and then i have to attend to this attend to that and i'm just like i just want to break like i just want to break i'm about to break down like i'm like I just need some time. So when yeah. that happens, you have to make sure that you're caring for yourself. Like mm-hmm. before that even happens, care for yourself yeah. every day. So some of my non-negotiables on a daily basis, like, you know, I have to have that quiet time. That's just me. Right. You know, that yeah. I'm just like, just Zen and out. I read during that time. I do some meditation. I do my manifest manifestations. You know, that is time for me not to think about work, not to think about what I got to do today or anything like that, but just like focus on me. What does mm-hmm. Lola need? I also get regular massages like I actually started the schedule of like Monday mornings before Uh because you know people like talk about the case of the Mondays I'm like how do I balance the case of the Mondays (laughs) that is so cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah I start my Monday with a massage so I'm starting my Monday amazing I don't have a case of the Mondays I'm starting my week amazing like feeling good feeling relaxed uh, and then I also run as well. Um, okay. So I go to Orange Theory and uh, and outside of that, I run like, you know, during the summers, I run like five miles every day. Like that's oh, something wow. that keeps me very balanced and centered. Mm-hmm. So whatever that thing is, you have to find that thing that keeps you going, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, also like have a supportive group of people, whether it's family yeah whether it's friends, whether you're part of a business community or something, people that encourage you and support mm-hmm. you to keep going. I'm very fortunate to yes. have people in my life that are just like, Lola, we see you, keep going. And, you know, I have friends that tag me and everything. You know, when like on Instagram, people are like, yeah. you know, tag black owned, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm always being tagged and things. I, and love, I love it. That. I, I love, love it. it. I love it so much because people are constantly thinking about how can they support mm-hmm. me and how can they make sure that they're elevating my brand? Because, you know, as a newer brand, you're not going to be in everything. You're not going to be no. included in every list. And so yeah. when people, you know, tag you, that's how like, you know, the visibility grows. That word of mouth is critical at any point yeah. that you're in. So yeah. um, I'm very grateful for all of that. I really like that in talking about how you juggle these two worlds, you emphasize what you do to take care of yourself. Because for so many people, the answer to that is work more and work harder. (laughs) And it's like, no, you make sure that you pour into yourself so that you can withstand the the pressure and the stress and not burn out. And so I just really like that you emphasize that. That Monday massage thing, that is brilliant. That is so, so cool. So I I might have to copy that. Um, It's life changing. 
Let's do a quick lightning round. You just answer the very first thing that came to mind. Actually, what you were talking about is one of the questions. So um, I might have to rework that one, but all right. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So number one, um, what's a resource? First thing that comes to mind that has helped you in your side hustle journey that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? First of all, um, I keep spreadsheets of everything, right? And I yeah. keep a plan of everything. Like, and again, it has to be individual, but make sure you're writing things down. When you write things down, it becomes a plan. It becomes, and you're able to take action. So make sure whatever your mechanism is, you're yeah. organized, you're organizing your thoughts and your actions and your plans in some ways. And then there's like business resources across the board that you can use and tap into. Um, you can take courses on Coursera about business, Harvard Business Review. Uh, Harvard has an open source resource around businesses as well. Mm. Uh, you can tap into Side Hustle Pro to learn about yes, people's yes. journeys. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things out there. If you're looking for the information, you'll find it. But the most important thing is centering, centering yourself first and knowing mm -hmm. that you actually have a way of motivating yourself to, to go and get it. So, All right. Number two, what's been the best business book or episode or live event that you have attended or, you know, used to pour into yourself? So I will say, okay, one thing I personally do is I read a lot of business success stories, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, like I read the story of Louis Vuitton, the actual Louis Vuitton, right? And yeah. also Vera Wang, how they got started. And uh -huh. I find motivation in those stories. I also find motivation in hardship. People that have had a difficult journey, but there was, mm -hmm. they were able to navigate themselves away uh, out of it. You know, so Louis Vuitton, for instance, when, they, when he started the brand, he didn't have customers for 10 years. A lot wow. of people don't know that, right? And I it started with trunks. Yeah, it started with trunks. And then one day, you know, somebody walked in and was like, oh, I love this, right? And then it, was, it started building from there. But it took a long time to become Louis Vuitton. And I think social media sometimes makes people feel like these things happen instantaneously. They don't. They take time. So um, not a business book. I have several business books that I read, you know, uh, but, you know, for me, the most important thing is just like finding motivation in real life stories, especially mm -hmm. stories of perseverance, of overcoming, uh, of tenacity. You know, yeah. wherever I see that happening, I'm inspired by that because it lets me know, like, through whenever I'm having a hard time with the business that I can keep on going as well. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. And, yeah. Number three. Mm -hmm. Who is a black woman entrepreneur that you would trade places with and why Ooh. for a day? Trade places with for a day. Ooh, trade places with for a day. <laughs> um, I, it's going to sound corny, but I've, I've, I've really studied Oprah's journey. I know a lot of people are not going to say she's an entrepreneur, but she actually is. Yeah. She's running her enterprise and, you know, so, and she has, many different elements in there. So I've always admired her and I've always like, if I could trade places with one person yeah. per day, give me Oprah. <laughs> anyway. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, number four, what is a personal habit that has significantly contributed to your side hustle journey? Uh, personal habit, meditation, um, and also just speaking positively to myself. I start my day with a positive intent and positive thought. Yeah. Not that you're not going to encounter things throughout the day, but I always just tell myself, you know, I am a naturally optimistic person. I see opportunity yeah. in everything, even in the yeah. things that look like, you know, they could be negative. There's opportunity there. So mm, love that. that comes oh. my way. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so important. 
mm-hmm. then finally, um, what is your parting advice for fellow side hustlers who may be stuck or discouraged trying to juggle their own full-time job and side hustle? So if you have an idea and this idea has been with you for some time and you've studied the idea, you know that there's something there and you also know that you know, this is something that you are passionate about. I just want to say you don't have to have everything perfectly figured out before you go do it. You have to start it first, right? You're going to learn along the way. You're going to do things wrong. You're going to bounce back and you're going to learn and you're going to get back up there. But you have to start. And in terms of balancing it with your day to day, you know, it seems scary and intimidating, but, you, you know, we, we sometimes don't give ourselves enough credit for what we're capable of because we don't know what we're capable of until we actually have to do those things, right? Yeah. We're more capable than we give ourselves credit for. Mm. You can do it. You know, you have to, of course, you know, make a plan, make sure that yeah. you actually have you know, you're balancing your time, you're balancing your efforts and, you know, you're saying no to the things that don't matter. And, you know, you're, you're being discerning in terms of what matters, but you can actually balance that time. You can do it. You can do the research. You can be slow and steady. Yeah. Um, there's no timeline. Don't let social media rush you into thinking mm-hmm. that everyone is an overnight success. That's not the case. Take the time that you need. Make sure you're focusing on understanding the customer. I'm hyper-focused on customer intimacy. Like, I get feedback from my customers all the time. I want to make sure that I'm designing and I'm actually creating products that the market is going to embrace and love and my customers are going to feel great with. So make sure you understand your customer, your demographic. Figure out what you want to target. You can't be everything to everyone. If somebody's looking for a super stylish, trendy bag, Probably not my bag because my bag is for the everyday professional that also values fashion, right? Find your demographic and be hyper-focused on that demographic. Don't try to cater across the board. You know, um, don't try to be everything to everyone because you're going to fail. And also be conscious of who you're getting advice from, right? Because mm-hmm. people people may try to input into your stuff and you should listen. You should absolutely keep an open mind but also keep in mind that people are only talking from their own perspective. And sometimes that perspective may be limited by what they've tried in the past that didn't work, you know, yep. or their failures or whatever yeah. it is, right? So make sure you're discerning of what advice you're getting as well. Yes. And yes. if you've studied your market and you know your product, you know that there's something there and you really believe it in your heart, you have to go for it how you want to design it. Because I'm telling mm-hmm. you, people told me, you should design this ultra luxurious bag and price it at $5,000. Yeah. Or you should do this, it's X, Y, Z. And I'm like, <laughs> you have to find that middle ground and just know yeah. that you're being true to yourself. Oh, that Those were some gems right there. Well, you know, where can people <laughs> connect with you, Lola? And um, where can people find out more about your brand after this episode? Absolutely. So Silver and Riley, all across all socials, Silver and Riley on Instagram. It's uh, the brand is ampersand, but on Instagram, on any social platform, you actually have to spell out the and. So it's Silver A N D and Riley, Silver and Riley, and yes. then also the website is www.silverandriley.com. Uh, that's where you can connect. That's where you can find awesome products. And I also wanted to share. Uh, a discount code with the Side Hustle Pro oh, um, community as well. You can Woo-hoo. get 20% <laughs> off using the code Side Hustle. 
20 percent right. off the code site also and that's thank just, you so much that's so generous of, of you <laughs> i i we really appreciate that thank you so very much and you know one thing i want to add before we wrap up is this episode has really poured into me today i i can't even quite put the words around it, what specific thing it is that has done that for me. But I just want to thank you for that because it definitely has. And I can feel that in my soul and in my spirit. And I hope it has done that for you as well, you guys listening. So with that, there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.